0: Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at the Moonbase 3 episode, Castor and Pollux by John Lucarotti. A satellite in Earth orbit fails and must be repaired by the Moonbase 3 team. At the same time, Calder is hosting the Russian general in command of Moonbase 2. Russia is about to launch an ambitious Mars probe commanded by Dmitry, a young hotshot astronaut who grew up idolizing the famous Tom Hill. He jokingly asked Tom to come to Mars with him, and you can tell Tom would really love to go, but he has duties to Moonbase 3. One of those duties is to pilot the repair ship and fix the broken satellite. But a freak accident locks the ship and satellite together in a spinning death flight into deep space. Tom Hill will die, as Michel points out, because there is no practical hope to mount a successful rescue. Calder refuses to give up and has the rescue mission prepared anyway. Unfortunately, the only pilot on Moonbase 3 good enough to carry off the tricky mission is Tom Hill himself. But on Moonbase 2... Dimitri is just that kind of astronaut who could get the job done. Moonbase 2's commander refuses. Dimitri is too valuable to risk only a week before the launch of the Mars mission. Nonetheless, Dimitri shows up at Moonbase 3 ready to fly the mission to rescue his hero. Between Tom and Dimitri, they hatch a daring but highly risky plan to rescue Tom. Michel is completely against the plan, as it will almost certainly result in the loss of both astronauts and their ships. Apparently, Dmitry has done this against orders, and when the Kremlin and the European Space Commission find out, the moon dust hits the fan. Calder is relieved of command, and Michelle is put in charge. While the rescue mission cannot be stopped, the risky maneuver can, and the Russians demand that it not be attempted. Michelle is capable of stopping it because a key portion of it must be executed from Moonbase 3, and he can prevent that. But he doesn't, and the plan works, and everyone is safe, and the Russians score a huge PR win back home and are ecstatic about the successful rescue. Calder is put back in charge. The end. So, Castor and Pollux, Castor and Pollux, episode five of the six-part series, what did you think?
1: I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, I liked all the space stuff, of course, as I always do. Um, <laughs> the well, story it's a good was... thing
0: it's a space show.
1: I know. I know. Uh yeah it was it was a good uh you know good rescue episode nice little uh drama there with with all the uh, the issues with having to match uh vectors uh, orbit and vectors and all kind of stuff rotational axis and things like that
0: yeah it was yeah it had me uh i was actually pacing around really watching it wow. yeah i was like yeah this is you know a part of it is just being tired of sitting on my on my duff while watching the show but <laughs> normally i don't i mean it, it just got me up it's like yeah this is this is good intense and, and and i will say i had actual some doubts about whether tom hill would survive
1: i know um uh, you know it's i know it's only six parts and uh you know they're they seem to be willing to kill characters that appeared from one episode to the other so mm-hmm. yeah uh, it could have been uh tom hill's time
0: Could have been yet another disaster for the Moonbase 3 Yes, another setback. (laughs) So, you know, I I felt the episode worked pretty well. I I think it, in some ways, might be the best episode to date.
1: Yeah, man. It also uh, told us interesting things about how Calder sees the organization. Tom Hill keeps everybody alive and well and everything working. LeBron is the organizer who makes sure that we don't waste things, and Calder sees himself as the buffer, you know, the go-between between all of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's, that's like, how okay. he
0: described himself. Right, um, right. I see him as the expediter. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's more than a buffer. It's the guy who gets stuff done so the other two can do their job. It, it, right. He's, he's, he was he, being self-deprecating in yes. a way. It's yeah, like, he's, I'm, just, I'm just pecked him. It's like, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's the guy who makes sure that the whole thing works. You know, and I think we said in other episodes that, you know, that that seems to be his thing is that he makes stuff happen. You know, he, he makes stuff happen. Right. He makes so one things of the go. Things,
0: one of the things that uh Michelle while he's having his psychiatric uh <laughs> session says is that he doesn't think Calder has like grand long-term vision. Right. Right. And I wonder if we're supposed to look at this episode and say Michelle is wrong because Calder is playing what I see a is very a very long, long game.
1: game a very long one
0: with the well Russians after he's and, well
1: yeah, well after everybody on the base has retired he wants to be part of the team that seems to be the ones that are leaving the solar system yeah yeah exactly
0: so you know for for once we get a chance to see him talking with the russians and it's pretty amicable yeah and well, much
1: better than talking um, to the yanks apparently <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and the chinese but we can come back to that um but he is you know he's wheeling and dealing with the commander of the russian base yeah to try to get a joint projects or projects going with them so that he can turn around and shame the eu into giving him the budget yeah exactly yeah i mean he he's literally playing the space race game there yep
1: he he's definitely uh, been thinking about this in his bunk as he said scheming
0: yeah scheming yes absolutely yeah and it looks like it might pay off
1: yes yes with the russians plan of taking uh, uh, three ships and going to Mars and setting up a a station there and then using that as a springboard to Jupiter. Yeah, definitely. And and he wants to be on the Jupiter leg of the mission.
0: More more so than Jupiter, the grand tour.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. He he definitely sees farther than just just that planet.
0: And I think Michelle hasn't got that vision.
1: No, I, I think in this episode more than any other, Mr. LeBron has shown that he is a bureaucrat or a technocrat, I believe, as uh, as mm-hmm. uh, Calder called him. And Calder is a leader. Calder has a vision that he knows how to execute. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not afraid of trying to uh, go for it. LeBron, no, he's stuck by the rules.
0: And he'll, by... He will
1: inhibit himself.
0: Logic. Yes. Yes, logic. As, as he says... Um... At one point, when Calder says, "Well, you know, friendship isn't uh, isn't logical uh, at times." Yes, exactly. So, yeah, and, and you know, I, I there's a lot to recommend Calder in this episode. Uh, this he really comes off well. He has come off as a sneaky, <laughs> conniving guy in right. previous we, we, episodes.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think we we thought that he might be somebody who would, you know, you know, it wouldn't be too, you know, far above him to have somebody thrown out of an airlock if it made things work, which I don't think but he'd go that far.
0: When he's <laughs> on your side. Oh, excellent. Yes.
1: <laughs> but once it, again, very first episode, he did say that, you know, essentially we're going to make this work for the base. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not too far, I guess. We just didn't believe him, apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he's... Uh i i think you know you can look back on it and say that this maybe even that was part of his long-term vision to have a crew that he could rely upon yeah it's like who falls apart under the pieces and 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 maybe you know maybe he's doing all the stress to break down the scientists so he can get rid of the weak ones no
1: i don't think okay, he maybe he not that. but yeah that's uh i don't think that would work very
0: well <laughs> Pressure makes diamonds. Pressure makes diamonds.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Heard that a number of times, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I, I thought uh, I, I thought he re- really comes off well. Even when he's been fired yes. or relieved, and he's talking with Helen about it, and he's like, you know, I, I don't mind, because I made the right decision. Yes. And if that gets in the chop, well, he still can go in his conscience and I also really appreciate the fact that when they relieve him and put Michelle in command yeah his first response is not indignation or you can't do that or or anything like that it's like no let me stay in charge because you put the blame on Michelle if it goes wrong even though it's entirely on me he's still protecting him yeah yeah It, it was it was his first instinctive thought it's like let this fall entirely on my shoulders
1: right <clears throat> yeah know, that's another sign of
0: a leader yeah yeah I can't really say enough good things about him in this episode right it, and it, it i really... i will say
1: this about lebron um i he uh in my notes it says i i have a note that he took one for the team that's later in the episode when the uh uh the director general um mm-hmm. was pretty much just said you know well good thing lebron wasn't running this thing or everybody would have died something to that effect uh and uh i think that uh you know as lebron said he it's because of his logic that he allowed the uh the plan to go through for the the rescue craft to nudge the uh uh the stuck ship but i i have a feeling that he really didn't want to not do that i th- i think he was kind of accepting that okay uh Calder had this plan it's a plan we're gonna try it he wants to try it
0: Calder's already said that he'll take full blame for it and you know let's see what happens I kind of wonder if that was well first off when he said afterwards and and for the listeners who didn't get a chance to listen through it basically his argument to Helen I believe it was to Helen at the end was that if I ordered them not to do the maneuver which by the way the, the maneuver is for the rescue ship to bump into the stranded ship. Yes. And to have the stranded ship use the satellite's thrusters to pitch it against the ship so that they can try to shift it just enough to break the lock free, which would be enough so Tom could then get into the satellite and they could dock with the other port and get the thing out. Um, the The reason that this could be controlled from Moonbase 3 is because Moonbase 3 had to operate the thrusters on the satellite. If they didn't do that, this plan definitely would not work. Exactly. Michelle says at the end, they'd have done it anyway. They'd exactly. have tried ramming it anyway, right. and then it wouldn't have worked, and they all would have died. Therefore, I, by having them do it, gave <laughs> them a better chance of... Doing it. Now, my question is, was he trying to self-justify that to himself? Was he trying to aggrandize himself by saying this was the logical course of action or was he just you know he he, he basically went along with it he he was a human being he said I, we've got to give it a try and then he, but he he wanted to put that in the best light of why he, why he wasn't did what he doing did. what he said he was going to do yeah Because yeah, he said yeah. he was not going to allow the collision right uh from the start right so i don't know but, which it was yeah honestly. i don't i don't
1: know either but, you know, you're absolutely right. If if they wouldn't have done it, if Moonbase-3 hadn't uh, supplied the commands to the satellite to use its thrusters, they would have died. And everybody after that would be saying, well, if he'd followed through on Calder's plan, they probably would be alive. They and might have
0: lived at least.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And it more than likely would would put a serious uh, uh, damper on his career since, you know, he was in oh, charge. It would be over. Yeah, exactly. He'd be going home. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Either way, it worked out for everybody. <laughs> and, uh, and I got to I, say, I, yeah.
0: I was going to say, I was also on the edge of my seat as to whether or not he was actually going to give, give no, the, the command, command to do it.
1: Yeah, I know. Is he going to side with the Russian commander that he seems to almost idolize? Or is he actually going to, you know, do what his now former boss was going to do?
0: Yeah. I have to say, I, I up to a point, you know, when... They were getting ready for the collision and Michelle was standing there. and The Russian was demanding that they call this thing off. Right. I was like, will he, will he try to call it off? Well, I, I don't know whether he's going to try to call it off. And I did. So in his defense or in the writer's defense said, it doesn't matter whether he calls it off or not. They're going to, he's going to collide it. There's no doubt he's going to do it. And it was shortly after that that they said, well, you know, we have to do the thing with a satellite here. And I'm like, oh, okay." now it's back in In his hands. It's actually in LeBron's hands. He really has to push the button, basically. Right. As opposed to, you know, I can give the order and say, don't do it. You're going to do it anyway. So,
1: yeah. Two lives were in his hands, uh, his career, probably career of other people. And he
0: did the right thing. You know, he actually took probably the fate of Moonbase 3. Right. Everything. He actually
1: took responsibility for it, which I believe in previous episodes he seemed to have an issue with. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, Good he point. was rather He's terrified at bit... one time where he, wait,
0: I'll be in charge? What? <laughs> yeah. Actually, come to think of it, he yeah. has been sort of like, no, nah, you, you do it by the rules and that's the end of the game. So he is learning. So the whole yes. premise of putting colder there and let LeBron get seasoned. Yep. That was also referenced
1: in, I think, the first episode. That um... Yep. The 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 good doctor mentioned that you're too you're far too young for this. They'd never mm-hmm. let you be director. It, it just seems to be dead on on that one.
0: Okay. Speaking of people with mixed uh, motives, mm-hmm. the director general. Yes. He put he he gets pressure from Russia and the European Commission, so he has to relieve Calder Right. And tell him you have nothing more to do with this rescue. Lebron, yeah. you're in charge. Go. When it goes Calder's way and it's successful, he's all smiles and happy. And I knew that was what was going to happen because well, he was probably elected to his position. <laughs> well, the, here's my question. You know, I, my first thought when I watched that was he's lying, right? He's gonna he's gonna uh, cover it up and and go like, yeah, I knew this is what was going to happen, and yeah, I, but. I, yeah. Based on our conversation last time, where, you know, you kind of postulated that this is almost like a sort of on the down low with Calder yep. about getting yep. the base running. He might be absolutely telling the truth there. It's like, that's exactly what I expect to happen out of this team of people.
1: Right. I I thought the episode was going to go in the direction of, okay, the director general has relieved Calder of his duty. Well, Calder can't get into any trouble uh, you know, really, with his his, uh, his 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 boss, because well, he's been fired, lack of a better term. Yeah. So, yeah, that those retros on the satellite were going to get fired no matter what, even if he had to, you know, distract LeBron into some other part of the base when it was happening. He was going to do it.
0: I, I think it's had be- that much feeling. better drama yeah. to have LeBron do it.
1: Yes, I think it worked out very well in this case. I I was not looking forward to seeing the director kind of give a wink and nudge nudge to colder to go do what he was going to do anyways i i I don't think the episode would have been very good if it went that way maybe i've seen that too many times on tv
0: yeah maybe that's it i mean this this wasn't exactly what i expected um but but all around Yeah. yeah all all points to the the structure of the the characters and their motives and yeah and the fact that it's it's really well done. John Lucarati to be complimented on this one in particular. Yes. Yes. Um, let's see. The Russians. The Russians. Yes. The Russian general, um, he's a very, seems very amicable guy. He seems to be very uh, willing to talk with Calder about his right. ambitions the for of a joint projects. Joining up, right. He even makes them an offer right you know if you guys can chip in 350 million US dollars was it US dollars you can be or on the grand tours it was ooh he said dollars it might have been euro dollars yeah it might have been euro probably
1: just dollars. dropped euro yeah yeah,
0: it could have been euro dollars. Yeah, anyway, doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's, it doesn't really matter. It's 350 million imaginary units. Which sounds like <laughs> most of the budget for Moonbase 3. <laughs> it sounds like far more than the budget of Moonbase 3, would be my guess. But, yes, oh, and um,
1: 100,000 million euro dollars is a billion, correct? I forget how the British do billions. 100,000 million?
0: 100,000 million, yeah. <sighs> oh, that's right. They or do 100,000. Do they still do billions weird? I oh, maybe think they, they got do. rid of I'm that with sure. decimalization. I'm not no, sure.
1: No, <laughs> I think it's more recent than that.
0: Um, yeah, I don't know, but it's it's a it's a chunk of change that they don't have, but yeah. it's a cheap chunk of change because they're going to leverage the Mars mission. So, what's cool about this Mars mission? The idea is that they're actually sending three ships, two of them unmanned. That are being piloted by the third ship remotely. And they're going to go to Mars. The two unmanned ships are going to dock in orbit. And then the third ship's going to dock with that and form basically a station in Mars orbit. And then they will be able to use the, I guess, the manned ship to go down to the planet and then come back.
1: Did they mention actually going to the surface or just establishing the station?
0: I thought they
1: did, but... I thought it was establish a station and then come back in five months or whatever it was.
0: It could be. It, yeah. it could be. Either way, they're going to have a station at Mars so that they've developed. And yeah. they're going to have to – they're going to use that to leverage for the Grand Tour. So that's why this is a, a $350 million. Oh. Um, oh,
1: uh, the, it's, it's cheap. It, it's cheap. Uh, a thousand million is a billion dollars, so it would have been a hundred billion dollars.
0: Okay, but it's 350 million dollars. Right, for the, so the it's rest not of into so, the billions.
1: No, I'm oh, talking about the entire Marscos. Yeah, uh, uh, Marscos yeah, Mars uh, project. Okay,
0: yeah, to to they've Mars. already sunk that in there. Yeah,
1: so you know, Calder's being offered an incredibly good deal. I mean, literally, yeah. somebody has bought the jetliner for him, and all he gets to do is ride on it.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. It's a it's a it's a great deal, and it's exactly the kind of stuff that he's trying to score a huge victory, right for Moonbase Three. Exactly, you know, if they could a, have... a very prominent place in in the Grand Tour, which I really appreciate the fact that they were using that term even back then yes. in the show.
1: Yeah. Well, I think uh, let's see, seventy three. They definitely would have been uh, Voyager would have been um, on its way to at least being launched. I think that was in seventy six, was it? I have to look I'm not that up. Sure. Anyways, yeah, so Grand Tour is definitely something that people had heard of and, and understood what it meant. quite the concept too.
0: So, uh that's that's all well and good. Uh, he's a little bit of an overprotective hen, uh because Dimitri, the the trick with Dimitri <laughs> is that when you dock two spaceships, that's fine, but when they put that third ship in there because they're going to dock all three of them, that becomes a challenging problem, which coincidentally, just happens to be exactly the problem Tom Hill has.
1: Pretty much. He's got much. two
0: ships that he's got he's to dock, although in that case they're completely out of control. Right. Uh, which luckily in space, completely out of control, still means highly predictable.
1: Yes, unless you're venting some gas and changing your uh, orbit. Right. Or your rotation velocity, then yeah. Yep, pretty darn uh, regular there. Which I got some uh, questions about how they do the docking, but we'll get to that when it gets.
0: <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah um let's see um and so at the end of the episode the the russians have made an overture to the europeans about the possibility of doing some joint projects yep and they've asked the europeans to go visit them at the kremlin to have some talks which Calder is not going to get the credit for
1: not directly the- no but not, uh, I d- yeah. think I'm pretty sure that the uh, director general will. Do you will, think he uh, knows? Oh, that it
0: was Calder's deal. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think that the Russian yeah. general contacted the Kremlin and said, you know, these guys, we ought to do some work with them, and the Kremlin said, okay, we'll contact. So that it was it was a sort of moon to moon deal, <laughs> by way of Earth, uh, or whether or not it's coincidental that the Kremlin decided, hey, these guys on Moonbase Three, we ought to be. Uh, Moonbase, yeah, three. Yeah, <laughs> you ought to be working with them. I, I don't know, I don't know, but it, it...
1: well, it definitely the uh, general would have been spoken to about what happened. Uh, you know, I and mean, for him, of course, it was you know a, a career ending event <laughs> if it had gone wrong. You know, career ending for a number of reasons and a number of people, uh, it- too. Um, certainly
0: wouldn't have been time it... he wouldn't have talked to him about it before it was successful i mean yes he would have talked with a exactly. criminal about the problem but that would not have been the time and say by the way i've been thinking about doing a deal with these guys who are doing this cowboy yeah stuff. exactly yeah exactly so it had to be afterwards it's like hey what a great job we're gonna get a lot of pr out of this and right. by the way these guys have proved i think we can do some pressure. work i think we can do some work with this calder guy and, and yeah get some yeah and not have to deal with the Americans. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was uh, interesting. And I, and I really cannot put my mind in 1971 mode. Um, because, you know, what I can think of is you look back at 1971 and oh, who were the bad guys? The Russians. Yeah. Right? It's always the Soviets. It's always the Soviets. It's not the Chinese until well into the 80s. Right? It's 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 the Russians yeah. all through the 70s. And I think it's very interesting that here in 1971, the Russians don't come off that bad. They come off as almost as friendly. No, they come off as exactly as friendly as the Americans do to Yeah, pretty 3. much. You know, a little
1: bit more efficient Which is, and, you know, willing to, or wanting to go by the book. But yeah,
0: definitely. They do have a hundred billion... Yeah, but yeah, they're not they're on in the a line bit. there. <clears throat> yeah. Because Dimitri is the only pilot that can do that maneuver and uh, apparently, yes. You know apparently. And so you know, I under I completely understand why they might say no. And it's very interesting because we've seen this equation before. When you're on the moon, people will die. Yep. Yep. And very true. <laughs> we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to face the reality that, that people are gonna die. But it, it's a stark contrast to the Chinese that we saw. Who are, right. like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you. I know you're waging a propaganda war against us, you imperialist dogs, or whatever. <laughs> like, it right. Was,
1: it was, you know, that was obviously, you know, just a couple lines of dialogue. And it was, you know, meant to be as one dimensional as you could possibly get, because they wanted to portray a stereotype, apparently, of, of how they were being, uh, you know, seen by most people. And
0: uh, I think there's probably yeah. some truth to that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm yeah. not saying that they were stereotypes, but in other no, words, they, they were actually a, lot more, like that, yeah. a lot more insular and a lot more uh, closed off yeah. than, than the Russians were at that time. Fearful and
1: protective of their ways, yes.
0: Yeah. Let's see. One thing, since, as we say, people are going to die in space, how about Tom Hill's little capsule he's holding?
1: Oh, yes. I want to get, uh, yeah, that. Right.
0: Okay. Go, suicide go capsules
1: ahead. suicide capsules okay i had to find a quote and i did It's a quote from jim lovell commander of apollo 13 as we all know apollo 13 did suffer a little bit of a setback on its way to the moon and did not go there uh, but of course all everybody came back and to earth all safe and sound uh, let's see the actual quote is since apollo 13 many people have asked me did you have suicide pills on board we didn't i never heard of such thing in the 11 years i spent as an astronaut and NASA executive, yeah. So that's been pretty much what I've read from other people as well. No, no, we we don't do that uh, now. However, the Russians, when uh, Alexei Leonov, who sadly passed away uh, just a few days ago, on October eleventh, when he did his, he was the first man to do a, a spacewalk, and when he exited the uh, the, the craft, his suit uh, became rather large and rigid, and he wasn't able to. Basically, fit through the door. So, uh, you know, there was a really good chance that he his umbilical that was connecting him to the ship would have to be uncoupled. The door closed. Him left in orbit, while his co-pilot, now commander of the ship, went back to Earth. And you know, whether or not he actually had access to a suicide pill in his helmet is yeah, you know, I have would no he get idea. To it, I kind of yeah. doubt it. Exactly. And uh, it's it's a stupid idea because it probably would have been cyanide, and cyanide mm-hmm. takes. Apparently quite a while to kill you, like a minute or so, maybe even longer. I'm not sure Uh, because it eventually basically it it asphyxiates you. It stops your body from Mm -hmm. absorbing oxygen. It's probably easier ways to do that in space. Yeah. It's a little valve on your suit that opens it and uh, empties the air. Uh, You just have to drop your air pressure down. So you start feeling drowsy and stop it there and you'll pass away. You'll just drift off. Apparently it's, it's quite pleasant, to, you know. It's no pain involved at all.
0: So yeah, I I was curious about that because of course everyone has heard about suicide pills, right? Uh, it's it's part of the lore,
1: right? And, and also from what I've read and, and told and and seen in, in interviews and whatnot, the people who are astronauts are they're they're just like you know, very well-trained pilots. They're very well-trained, and they will work the problem to the very end.
0: <laughs> they are well-trained pilots, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're very well-trained Not just pilots. like that, they are exactly. very well-trained
1: pilots. <laughs> and it was even seen in, uh, what was it, the the Challenger explosion, that there was evidence that the crew had started to do emergency procedures after the explosion. I mean, oxygen had been deployed and various things, indicators, uh, switches and whatnot were found in positions that would be indicative of following the, uh, you know, an emergency uh, procedure list. And so they mm-hmm. were working on it as they were falling to earth, knowing full well that, you know, the chance of what they were doing working was almost next to nothing. But they kept working the problem. And and that's that's the sort of people that they put into high-risk, high-stress jobs like that.
0: Well, that's because they have a, an extremely extensive program with trained psychiatrists who run psych tests on them and figure all that out. Oh, These true, are people yes. It will not crack up under pressure. Or, or perhaps that's the difference between the American and the European program.
1: Uh, maybe. It could be. I'm not <clears> sure. <throat> <laughs> <clears throat>
0: yeah.
1: But anyway, so yeah, By way, just I, gonna... I don't know about that.
0: You were saying, yes. Well, I was just, yeah, I was going to just the topic of this, the pill, but deviating off here. I think in the past we have had, you and I a, a non-existent argument going on. And okay. you are right. I am? So <laughs> I you keep calling Helen. You put that one down. I keep <laughs> calling Helen a psychologist and you keep calling her a psychiatrist. She is a psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, Yeah. I, I checked it out. <laughs> I, I had a little note okay. on this to say I gotta I gotta answer this once and for all because every time we have this discussion, I'm like, I actually, don't know which she is. I know the difference between the two, but I'm kind of not paying attention. Well, for the uh, sake of the
1: audience and me, because I can't remember
0: what is the difference. Uh, <laughs> a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. Uh, they can prescribe medications. Oh, uh, that's right.
1: They can give you pills, and the psychologist can just talk about you not taking them.
0: Yeah. And I think there may be some some difference between now and 1971 on the way that works, because you could kind of unjustly say, well, a psychologist isn't a doctor or a psychologist is just a therapist. But mm. yes, they are more towards therapy, but 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 they are still, you know, trained PhDs usually, and, and the psychiatrist yeah. just has a medical degree so that they can – uh, do medical interventions, uh, but Helen is a psychiatrist. So that is (laughs) apologies to anyone who disagrees, probably the higher order in the, uh, mental health, uh, ladder that that's the top of the top of the chain. Supposedly in Helen's case, (laughs) I would uh, like to just point out, uh, one, mm-hmm. I really did appreciate the fact that in this episode, when Calder is explaining to Tom how he is sneaking his scheme to get more money for the moon base, he yes. does kind of run through a litany of all the problems they've had since episode one of the <laughs> yeah. series. You know, the director dead, Lobenthal dead, Partners' is fraud, Conway uh, suicide. I was going to say sewage. <laughs> Conway <laughs> suicide. That's another episode. Let's leave his sewage. We missed that one altogether. Yes. Um, and then he also mentioned the stoppage in the radio telescope program. Oh yeah, that would have yeah. been Achilles' heel, where the guy was screwing around with the team working in the radio astronomy lab. And yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's. Right. that's had lasting effects on that as well. Yeah, I guess they, they weren't able to get that part. <laughs> but what it what it does tell us is that this really has not been a rosy ride <laughs> since no, Gold got here. It's a bit rough. <laughs> yeah. The, the, he is really struggling. So I, I I I like the fact that he got a win here. Yeah. Um Yep. I really like the fact that he got a win here.
1: Oh, uh, I was just gonna say that uh, the accident that occurred when tom attempted to dock to the satellite mm-hmm. was kind of close to what happened in uh, 1997 with mir the uh, russian space station uh they were uh, a, a a progress resupply craft had, had successfully docked and a few days later they were uh testing the uh docking system uh, by undocking it and then redocking it <clears throat> manually because apparently the radar system that would do it automatically was very expensive and they were trying to see if if uh you can manually dock the craft and save a lot of money because, you know, after the ship gets undocked, it's filled with garbage and they just let it burn up in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And uh, as has happened, the astronaut that was piloting it, uh, he made a mistake and the uh, supply ship crashed into Mir, damaging one of the solar arrays and uh, piercing one of the, the hulls of the, uh, one of the modules and it also caused a total electrical outage for a while. Which has got to be one of the most terrifying things in space next to a fire All and alone uh, caused in the, the station dark. to tumble. Yeah, exactly, without any sound. Uh, uh, I think there was a American or uh, Canadian astronaut on board. I think his name was Mike And uh, He wrote in his book that when the, the lights went out, it was the most quiet he's ever experienced in his life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they successfully yeah. got everything patched up and working again. But I thought this was kind of interesting that. Uh, the kind of the same idea was was uh, used in this episode years and years before it really happened.
0: I suspect that that's you know a, a probably high up on the scenarios of things that could go wrong. I mean that that moment when the two ships touch yes. each other. Oh yeah, very very got very to tense. be uh, as as delicate an operation as there is. Oh yeah, out there. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's a very 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 complicated maneuver. And uh the fact that it can be done with almost you know, almost as a matter of routine now is amazing.
0: Computers, huh? <laughs>
1: yeah, computers, <laughs> good good technology, that's what that does. Yeah. Yeah. And really reliable mechanical parts.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that that's good. Um, there was something you wanted to ask about the docking or, or say about oh, the docking. uh it was
1: about the rendezvous when uh Dimitri um uh, exited the craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am assuming he was approaching the uh, satellite and uh, the the other uh, and Tom's craft uh, perpendicular along the axis of rotation. So his ship would have been essentially stationary. In fact, Colter even says that uh, mm-hmm. to uh, Helen. Uh, but when they they showed him, it looked like uh, Dimitri was like moving in a circle uh, along the uh, the spacecraft. I thought that was kind of odd. Or he was not going to contact the two spacecraft at the rotational axis and then you know, go hand over hand and translate to the uh, the point where the, the docking adapter is to see if he could fix it, uh, which I think would be what you do, get there and grab on and whatever. But apparently he wanted to just kind of go right to where the docking adapter was, which was making pretty much a little circle in space. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That was kind of odd.
0: Yeah, and I, I did notice on that shot, because Calder does say to Helen, you know, they've matched up so that they're in exactly the same, you know, they're, they're doing the same motion. And that's very right. hard to both visualize. And right, because it's boring. And, and probably to, to realize right. as well be,
1: on screen. There'd be two ways of doing it without having to move the ships. Uh, one would be to have a picture of Earth behind it or something stationary in right. space and make that move in a circle. Or take the lights in the studio and make them go in a circle. And two things that are very expensive. So mm-hmm. just putting uh, Dimitri on some wires and, and you know, moving around and stuff was probably a, a cost saver. And you know, but it I, makes it look like he's having a problem. Yeah. There, he,
0: so. so when he got out of the ship and he starts working his way across, and yeah. they're obviously spinning the camera Yeah, to me. It looked like they were trying to just turn the camera around. At first, I thought they were not moving together that he was that he was moving at a different velocity uh, dir- yeah than yeah. The, the ship was but as the shot wore on then it became apparent that they were just turning the camera and so obviously he was right <clears throat> moving with it so i wasn't sure uh you know if the ship is moving in three dimensional space it's got a tumble and a spin right. and a thing that that's hard to believe that he could Maneuver the ship to actually be in a uh, similar orbit without right when they vector that
1: when he rotates his craft to be essentially parallel with both the vehicles, so he can do the nudge. He actually would have been having to fire his his as his uh, attitude jets continuously to Mm -hmm. to uh, describe that circle in space and. First, other than being really, really difficult to program uh, in your your spacecraft's flight controller, um, or you know, even to do it by hand, which I think would be almost impossible for a tight arc, the amount of propellant he would expend would be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be like, well, there's no more maneuvering after this. <laughs> yeah, we don't need it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> send up another rescue ship. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, those two things were like the only big. Glaring, it's like wow, how'd that go by? Anybody who had any sort of scientific training, uh, but other than that, it was a you know, good episode. Oh, I, I like the fact that when Dimitri got outside the spacecraft, he started breathing heavily almost immediately because by everybody's uh, description of 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 going on EVAs, it's hard. Your suit's inflated to you know about four point three psi. It's cumbersome. Uh, you know, all that stuff. And you're really having to, you know, get a pretty good workout. And uh, it's, it's, it's difficult work doing that in space.
0: And he's been sitting on his on yeah, stuff well, there for hours. So, I mean, he's probably <laughs> atrophying away uh, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Uh, I thought it was interesting uh, that we've had some hint of it in the past. Maybe it was more than a hint and I didn't catch it. Uh, I knew Tom Hill was famous because he was the astronaut who rescued the cat... From the tree or whatever the heck it was? Yeah. Is it a dog yeah. or a cat or something in yeah, space?
1: Yeah, cat or yeah, it was a cat in space, I think.
0: Yeah. Cat cat climbed up in a tree and the tree was launched into space and somehow something Tom like got that, up in yes. and saved the save the cat. So he was he's a famous astronaut who saved the cat, but apparently he's really the astronaut's a famous astronaut. astronaut. <laughs> he is <laughs> the the astronaut's astronaut's astronauts, astronaut. Yeah. He, he is fulfilling like a Neil Armstrong kind right, of role exactly, to Demetrium.
1: Oh, what's the astronaut who was on the ISS? Canadian gentleman who uh, brought his guitar oh, up Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, the, the Canadian gentleman. I Sorry, the Canadians. Canadian. Sorry. It is, uh, Mark Husband? Yeah, well, no, nah, no, know. I really don't know. I know who you're it was, talking yeah, about. Yeah,
1: it's like like it was him, you know, really famous. <laughs>
0: yeah, didn't realize that. <laughs> Not really famous. Neither of us can think of his name. Yeah, we exactly. We can think of yeah, Jim Lovell yeah. and Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and yeah. Tom Hill now. So, um, but it was um, it was interesting to see. It was a little embarrassing though when he said, "Oh, my room had all the posters of Tom Hill on the wall." I'm like, "Oh, that's Chris Hadfield." Well, you know, um, you know good yeah, okay. Russian science student. Yes. Russians, yeah. it was like, uh,
1: <laughs> right next to poster uh, of Lenin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. are the hero of space the soviet yeah.
0: people <laughs> um i have only one last thing okay. um which will take us off the space topic so if you have anything else for space go for it
1: oh um yeah one small thing uh the buttons inside the spaceship mm-hmm. they're all big happy looking symbols and i thought that was interesting uh because um uh, Later, much later, well, about four years, I guess. Uh, whenever the movie Alien came out, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the there were plenty of symbols in there uh, inside their main spaceship, the Nostromo, and it was uh, work done by a guy named Ron Cobb. He's a, a, a artist and a technical illustrator, and he did a lot of production design on that movie. And he came up with what he called the somatic standards. And uh, they're just these uh, symbols that, you know, if you see them, you know exactly what it means. You don't have to know any other language. You just know the symbol. It's like the, the, the universal guy running uh, uh-huh. symbol for exit, stuff like that. And best I can figure, because every time there's a spaceship in a movie, I always look at the buttons and think, well, there's red ones, there's blue ones, there's yellow ones. They don't seem to be in any real pattern. They're not labeled, yet they seem to be hitting them. You know, mm-hmm. very quickly, and they know exactly what they're doing with all these. It's like, no, I don't think so. I'm so gonna. This say, was actually a case where having. the symbols on there actually. It's like, okay, I can buy that.
0: I'm gonna say that Space 1999, the cockpits of the Eagles are a little of both. They have. They their fair have share some of weird shiny symbols. Buttons. They do have their yes, feature of unlabeled Chinese, yes. but they also have a bunch of like Zenner card buttons, practically. Right, exactly. The wavy lines, the cross, the circle. Um, I, I've noticed that in a couple of the episodes when we were going through the show that that they had symbolically labeled buttons in a few cases.
1: Yeah, they had weird um, symbols on stuff. Uh, I think even on the uh, the main mission uh, screen, kind of their their test pattern. I think but not that on the computer. Concepts. That was just a, a oh, nine no.
0: keypad that. That had no labels on it of any kind. Well, because you know, anyone could just had go. Had
1: that... <laughs> Kano had that wired connection, the wireless connection in his head. He was Bluetooth yeah. to it all the time, that's so true. they didn't need that's it. That's true. <laughs> oh, no, that's a series that had you know, future vision. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it was years behind Moonbase 3.
0: Interesting that uh, Dr. Russell's name is Helena. Oh, wow. And I just that made only that connection. it came out yeah. like a year or two later. After huh. this, so I think Space Nineteen Ninety Nine Seventy Three, Seventy Three um, Seventy Four, the latest. It was before or after Star Wars. It was definitely before Star Wars. Okay, it was definitely so before 74, Star, 74, Star Wars. Star Wars ruined something. everything for that.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it did. A, I mean, in a way, a, it did. Oh well, for that style of of science fiction TV, yes, yes,
0: yeah. it did. It 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 just blew away standard space opera well with, just the like, same technological way that logical uh, stuff in favor of fantasy right the
1: same way that that star trek blew away flash gordon and buck rogers
0: yeah yeah, yeah star wars it, was a new wave and I, I i i have mixed feelings about what star wars <laughs> did to the science fiction landscape that's ah, probably a whole other series right there see a podcast <laughs> right there yeah right along the way caster and pollux yep caster and pollux the name uh, of the episode they're referring to tom and dimitri um as as sort or, of a modern-day Castor and Pollux. Yeah. Um, mythologically speaking, for those who don't know, and I should have looked it up, but rattling the things I know off of them are that they are the twin sons and or half-twin sons of the king of Sparta. If they're half-brother twins, then that's because Zeus slipped one in there. And oh, so one devil, yeah, Caster. Uh, he. This is the. I think the Swan incident. Uh, <laughs> uh, I
1: try to recall that.
0: Uh, but castor is the human, if that is the case. Pollux would be the demigod, if if they are that version of the mythology. But anyway, uh, they are the twin sons of the king of Sparta. They're the brother to the Helen of Troy. They traveled on the Argo with Jason, hmm. and they are the patron of travelers and mariners. No, um, oh, no, that I didn't know. And that's I think where the connection here is. Ugh. And of course, and of course Castor and Pollux are Gemini, the constellation mm-hmm. named after them, the twins. Right. Um so that's where the title came from. It's quite a stretch, but <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, uh one one final thing uh, for me anyways. Uh the look of distaste on LeBron's face when he was was poured that can of the best bubbly, as Calder said, was wonderful. I know it was completely deadpan, but it's like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm French.
0: He's French. <laughs> yeah, you give me You that just poured me some of this seducal. bubble
1: alcoholic solution from a can. You call it bubbly? What? Yeah. You'd think it, he'd be <laughs> used to that by now. <laughs> Maybe.
0: So what is this? Oh, the
1: finest bubbly. <laughs> The best bubbly.
0: You don't, you don't think it comes out of the food araca cycle like on Star Trek, right? It's
1: just Maybe, yeah. Their drink synthesizer. I don't know if it can yeah. synthesize food, but it can whip up a quick drink for you nice. They're pretty fast there.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> I haven't priorities. got anything else. Okay. Well, i give it a
1: thumbs up for doing that sort of thing.
0: We could give it a thumbs up. We got one more episode of Boon Base 3. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of sorry to see the show go. Yeah, them uh, too. Well, we'll see after next time. It's true. For the moment, I am sad that it's sad that it's going. Yeah, so. me too. Well, John, thank you for joining me. No, yeah, thank you. It was great being here. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com/fusionpatrol Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf This has been a Lone Locust production Technical correction in Our conversation concerning billions in the UK versus billions in the United States, that may not have been the most coherent discussion we've ever had. So here is the technical correction uh, per the wisdom of the internet. Prior to 1974, the United States and the United Kingdom used different definitions for the word billion. In the United States, that word was 1,000 million, and in the United Kingdom, that word was meant for 1 million million, what would be known as a trillion in the United States. In 1974, the British government started using the American definition of a billion, and it has stood that way ever since.